Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our top five NBA power rankings, but today we have a special guest on the podcast to help us with our top five power rankings. From TV on basketball, please welcome TV. Hey, what's up, guys? How's it going? What's going on, TV? Where, where are you Excellent from? to have you on, bro. Yeah, I'm excited, man. I mean, you asked me about this last week, talking about some power rankings. I'm always down to talk some basketball. So, TV, tell the viewers where you're from. Um, I'm from Toronto. Um, repping the you know, repping the city, all that stuff. I even got the Drake shirt on tonight, so you know how it is. And yeah, I just have a podcast. Um, you should check it out, TV on basketball. I try to post every Monday and Friday. You should go definitely check it out. And also just check out my page at TV on basketball on Instagram. Great page to follow, guys. I'm literally on this dude's page every single day. The recaps are different. The recaps are different. I don't think we should waste any more time. Let's get right into our top five power rankings. So TV, I'm going to start with you. Yeah. Who are the teams in your top five power rankings? Okay. In my top five power rankings, as of right now, my fifth team, I got the Philadelphia 76ers. Number four, Utah Jazz. Three, the Brooklyn Nets. Two, the Clippers. Number one, the Lakers. Jalen, how about you? All right, fellas. So I had to pull this one up. I had to really take some time. So at number five, I got the Phoenix Suns. At number four, I got the LA Clippers. At number three, I have the 76ers. At number two, I have the uh, Los Angeles Lakers. And at number one, I have the Utah Jazz. Number five with the Phoenix Suns. Number four with the Brooklyn Nets. Number three with the Philadelphia 76ers. Number two with the LA Lakers. And number one with the Utah Jazz, the hottest team in the NBA right now. Yeah, sir. So let's start with a common denominator. We all have the Los Angeles Lakers in our power rankings. TV. I'm going to start with you on this one. AD is going to be out for two weeks due to an Achilles injury. How do you feel the Lakers will play without AD? I think that the Lakers, I think this is a good time for, um, for Anthony Davis to get injured. Not that it's, I mean, there's no good thing about an injury, no matter what. But the thing is, is that at least it's happening of like a few months out of the playoffs. And that's all that really matters with the Lakers. No matter what they do in the regular season, it's not going to matter. That's like when, when a LeBron-led team, it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season. It's how you perform in the playoffs. And as long as Anthony Davis is ready to suit up for playoff time, it's not going to really matter. And in terms of the Lakers, I mean, LeBron James is having another, what, MVP-type season, 25-8-8 eight and eight once again. And if you watch these games, he doesn't even look like he's trying at this point. Like, that's how good this man is. This is how good, like, like that just shows, like, how great he has been. So... Whether the, I, I think with this injury, I don't think that the Lakers can get the number one spot at this point. I think the Jazz are rolling way too much to um, really like, I think they're going to start to spread and pull away from the Lakers at this point. But as long as they're fine for the, for the playoffs, I think that this um, injury is like not going to matter too, too much. Jalen, do you feel like that Anthony Davis has become sort of a liability this season for the Lakers? 
So I think liability is like jumping off the cliff a little. I think that might be leaning too much into like just the way he's played this year. Now, I will admit that he's been down in a lot of categories so far this season. And that's been something that's been really interesting because I think a lot of analysts that I listened to beforehand and maybe even to a certain extent, I might have leaned into this thought process myself and you guys can piggyback on it if you if you want to. My thought process for this for for this player individual, Anthony Davis, be, for, was coming off of a finals run. I thought this was confidence booster 101, right? You come from a losing organization in terms of, you know, not really being able to get past really the first round, the first real taste at anywhere post first round was against, you know, the Trailblazers, that big yeah. upset of a, a series that there was a couple of years ago. Other than that, this isn't really they were he wasn't really a part of a team that was a perennial playoff you know, powerhouse of any kind. You go to the Lakers and the first year you show up, instant success, right? And the first thing I'm thinking is weight off the shoulders, monkey off the back, similar to what we thought about like LeBron that first year winning it with Miami. I think you, I think we all viewed it kind of a similar way. Instead, AD's kind of taking steps back in every single category. And the biggest one I was telling Ryan this before we got on TV was the biggest thing that he's regressed on is his attempts at the free throw line. Like he's just being completely like like a lot less aggressive overall, and he's not showing up defensively the way we saw him last year. His blocks are down, but the reason why I can't really like lean away from the Lakers, and at least the reason why I still put them second is they're winning and winning with him on the floor and without him on the floor, and they're second yeah. overall in defense in the league in terms of opponents' points per game. So like they're locking up even though they kind of have like a band of strays, you know, pretty much handling most of the defensive responsibilities. Guys like Wesley Matthews, you know, Dennis Schroeder, obviously the big homie Alex Caruso, so on and so yeah. forth. So, like, I think that's the biggest thing. But I think AD, you need a healthy AD, bro. It's hard to call yeah. him a liability. You need a healthy AD. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think – and I like to, like – I like the way that you talk about how he – kind of has regressed. And I like to point to the comments that he said in the offseason when he signed that massive contract with the Los Angeles Lakers. He was basically saying, I mean, like, obviously, you know, like, coming from Toronto, we know Fred Van Vliet, his whole mantra is bet on yourself. And Anthony Davis, like, when he signed that massive contract with the Lakers over the offseason, he legit said, like, after he signed the contract, I know about my injuries. I know that I am prone to get hurt. So he, like, decided to sign this contract just to kind of, like, hold himself down so he knows he's getting the max money because he doesn't know like if he's going to have another type of injury aka this Achilles thing that's been killing him all season he just wants to play it safe and you talked about his free throw attempts going down and stuff like that I think a lot of that's all psyche like it's all in his psyche right now like does like is does he want to be aggressive like he has like he has something good going there and I was with you I thought he was gonna be one of the top MVP candidates I thought like this is like the slow transition from a LeBron led team to an Anthony Davis led team but it hasn't happened yet and I think that there's something in his mind saying look I don't want to get hurt I want to have a long NBA career and I think that's just like just sitting there at the back of his mind like when he's playing basketball right now I think this is so tough for Anthony Davis right now especially the player that he once was last season he's become less of a less of himself this season down in every category, like Jalen said. And I feel like in some cases, this team is playing better without him. It's become more of LeBron's team, even at age what 37, it's still his team. And he's still playing at like the highest level of his career, averaging like mm -hmm. 26 and a half points a game. How he's doing this at age 37 is 
beyond me. But I want to start with TV on my next question. What are the Lakers championship chances if AD is out? I think they are no longer the favorites. I'm sorry. Like we've seen what happens with a LeBron led team and he had players like, like before he got AD, he had a Brandon Ingram, he had Lonzo, he had Julius Randle and they, and they it just didn't work out. And then, and I think like with this team currently constructed, I mean, if Anthony Davis gets injured for the rest of the season, like God forbid, but if he does, I have a feeling they're still going to make some moves and stuff to kind of make up for it. But if we just take Anthony Davis completely off this roster, they're no longer favorites. As much as LeBron is that type of player to like lead you, lead this team to finals, I cannot see the Lakers as favorites without Anthony Davis. Jalen, do you feel like LeBron has the capability to lead this team to the finals by himself? I think betting against that man is dangerous, so I can't say no. But at the same time, I feel like it's one of those things where this is a really interesting year. You know what I mean? Like last year was our first real good taste of like, you know, what bubble situations look like in terms of how home court advantage is or isn't beneficial. You know what I mean? That was one of the first things we had to get a grip on last season. The other thing, too, is just the overall fact that I think that although home court advantage isn't important, I think seeding is still extremely important in this kind of season because matchups matter more this year than ever in terms of being able to progress through the playoffs. And that one's tricky because, you know, there's a lot of teams on the come up of, I'm sure we'll probably talk about the Suns a little bit later on. Uh, the Jazz is definitely probably one of those teams we're going to touch on a little bit too. And, I mean, they're one of the deeper teams in basketball, arguably the deepest team in basketball right now. And I don't think they're going to be scared to go 7-8 deep in the playoffs. I don't think the Lakers have that capability as it is with Anthony Davis on the on the floor. I think without him, it makes them as a roster even thinner. And like TV said before, I think they'll probably make a play at a player here and there if they know they have to, you know, deal with a compromised AD or deal with the facts of maybe not having AD at all. But nonetheless, I don't necessarily know how much they can bolster their roster up because they don't have too many trade chips if we're going to be real. They got a couple of guys you can think about, but not too many guys that I think will really move the needle. And that'll really play a lot into what, happens moving forward too. LeBron is a one-man wrecking crew and I honestly have him at the top of the MVP race um right now with just the way things have been going but it's a lot of basketball left bro and once that yeah. trade deadline hits it is it's a different animal second half of the year is a totally different thing yeah I 100% agree with that and like yeah, I mean, like you mentioned it there. What is there to trade? I mean, Dennis Schroeder, maybe. I don't think so. Like, there's, I don't think they, they at this point, like, they want to, like, keep him around. And this is where you miss people like a Dwight Howard, like a Rajon Rondo, which they had on their roster last year. Just these veterans that just know, like, when to get it done when they are needed. But they've lost that. They have Montres Harrell. Yes, he's going to perform well in the regular season. But we've seen him what happened with him in the Clippers in the playoffs last year. Montrez Harrell really took a dip in terms of production, whether that's due to like his, I, th- I think like, he had to leave the bubble because of a passing of a family member, but either way, he just did not look the same. And I think like, he's just not going to be as effective in the postseason. but yeah, I mean, hopefully Anthony Davis can stay in, can stay healthy, but there's never a guarantee with Anthony Davis. This has been his, his whole mon- his whole kind of identity, his whole career. We've seen LeBron take, take teams to the finals before 2007 his time in the heat four straight championship appearances with the with the cavaliers this kind of has the resemblance of when Kyrie left the year 
that LeBron and the Cavaliers went to the finals against the Warriors. I feel like it has that same effect. Like this is a talented team from top to bottom, but Anthony Davis is that guy that helps the Lakers win games. I don't know if LeBron could do it all by himself. And I think it's, it's even tougher knowing that he's going to be out for two weeks in a two game stretch, which could help you down the stretch in the season. If they end up winning a lot of these games, I think it's just going to be tough for LeBron to be able to carry this team all by himself at age 37. And you got to also keep in mind that this is the Western conference. It is a different beast in the Eastern conference. Like the, the Cavs, like even like in that year that you mentioned with where he took that team with just what Kevin Love, Jordan Carson, and all them, mm-hmm. they were going up against like their, their, um, their toughest competition was the Celtics with a rookie Jason Tatum and a second, third year Jalen Brown. This is completely different in the West. You're going to have to deal with that deeper jazz team. You have to deal with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George at some point. It's just different, and I I just don't think of without Anthony Davis that the Lakers can, like, even get that far. If, if you talk about – so, like, TV, I'm going to, like, bounce off of what you just said. I think that's, like, really important. Sorry, Ryan, I didn't mean to cut you yeah. off. But uh, when it comes to that, the whole Western Conference thing, I think you can tell just within the next couple of games that they have coming up. Like, okay, so they have a little bit of an East road trip thing taking place where they have the Nets, Heat, and the Wizards. I think that's one of those things. I think they might be to come out of that two and one. The Nets one is interesting just because we've seen what they've been able to do with their rotation of superstars, whether KD is or in, isn't in the lineup, you know, whether Kyrie does or does not play, things of that nature. But we know that James Harden has been able to hold it steady. But then, I mean, their next couple of games, I mean, we're talking about murders row. We were talking about this off-camera, Ryan. Jazz, Trailblazers, Warriors, Suns. The Kings on March 3rd might be your nicest day of the week. And in in what almost tough. a full month, you know, yeah. at least a half a month, they they're gonna be up against it. So I mean, that just goes to tell you, like the TV said beforehand, the Western Conference is different. So I think trying to carry them in these circumstances, oh no, you gotta have a strong back. I I trust him in the weight room, but I don't know if he's gonna be able to hold all these guys up. I feel like this Eastern Conference road trip is going to determine how dangerous this team is going forward. Brooklyn, Miami, Washington, and then four straight Western Conference games against all playoff teams. This is the seven-game stretch that makes that makes or breaks this team, and especially not having AD, especially not having AD against Brooklyn, especially not having AD against Miami or Utah or Portland or Phoenix. I can't see the Lakers winning a lot of these games. Yeah, tricky, bro. It's, it's going to be tough. So you mentioned other Western Conference powerhouse teams, Utah Jazz being one of them. Let's talk about the Utah Jazz. I have them at the top of my power rankings. TV, I believe you had yours at – you had the Jazz at five, right? I have, I have them at fourth. Four. Well, with, with power rankings, like I was like – it's either like you could go about it both ways. You can either do like your kind of your rankings on like top contenders or you could do a kind of like where they are in the season. If we're looking at regular season, I would have a number one, 100%. But when I look at yeah. these power rankings – I look at kind of the hierarchy as to like how, like how they're going to compete for a championship. And right now the jazz are at fourth and that has nothing to do with how good they're doing in the regular season. I mean, they're the best shooting team in basketball. They got the best defensive player basically in basketball and Rudy Gobert, and they're just killing in the regular season. But we've seen the jazz over and over again, go into these playoffs thinking that they have like this really deep team has good supporting pieces, but, 
people like Rudy Gobert. I mean, there's a reason why people are kind of have been bashing him every single year in the playoffs. He gets played off the court. He gets played off the court in like a lot of these series. I mean, if we talk, if we're thinking like two years ago against the the Houston Rockets, I mean, that was a massive issue. Like Rudy Gobert was in foul trouble basically every single game. And I just, I just don't know if things are going to change. I hope they're going to change. They look like this team looks different. I mean, every single game, they, they're looking to prove people wrong. It looks like it, it really does feel like that they're, that they're, they look at the, they're listening to these people like, oh, there's like, they're not for real. They're not for real, but they're trying to prove it every single night. But again, this, this, I mean, this Jesse just really just makes me think of the Atlanta Hawks of like what, 2015, 2016, like a really, really good regular season team. But when it comes down to it, they're not going to take down LeBron. They're not going to take down Kawhi or PG. That's what, that's how I feel about it. I, I guess to follow up on that one, because they're 22 and five right now and they've won, what was it? 19 of 20 in their, in their last, in their last 20 games, something like that. Yeah. What has been the biggest change for Utah from last season going into this season? It has to be the three point shooting just all of a sudden, like they like something clicked in their head saying, look, the NBA, like we have the pieces that can shoot. They have people like Jordan Clarkson, who's shooting almost 40% from three. Joe Ingles over 40%. Bogdanovich has really been turning it up lately over 40% as well. And they have that guy in Donovan Mitchell who could basically do it all on the offensive end. Like it's, I think one of you guys mentioned that like, like near the beginning, they're just a deep team. They're one of the deepest teams in basketball right now. And when you have people like that, you can like bring in even like people like George's and the Yang that they've played like from time to time, like you can just throw in these guys, they can hit shots for you. I mean, they're a dangerous team and, the th- and they've shown like throughout the season that they can win either way, winning with their defense. Really, they have like a top three defense right now in the league. And even like a few days ago when they had to beat the, I believe it was either the Miami Heat or the or the Philadelphia 76ers where their defense didn't show up, but they were able to provide to do, provide on the offensive end. Like they're showing they could beat teams in multiple ways. And that's what's been really impressive of their run as of late. Jalen, do you feel like this team is all hype or do you feel like that this team is legit? So I think the biggest thing with this team when it comes to the hype, right, is that I think for everybody looking at it, this is like the, you want to, you want to give a team their flowers. That's where everybody is right now, because with Utah, I think TV touched on it like really, really closely when saying that like everybody's been looking at them and saying they're fraudulent, they're fraudulent or, Oh, the regular season put on, it's just kind of like, it's very Milwaukee bus bucks esque. It's very like, the Atlanta team it brought my hands to my face. Cause the first thing I thought was, Oh man, that's, that's been there. That's been their comparison all season deep team. You could arguably put all the, put all their starters except for Royce O'Neal probably, but you could replace him with Jordan Clarkson and you would still have an all-star level, you know, five, if you want to, you know, go that route team that kills with, you know, continuity. And I think that's the biggest thing. I want to say that's really the biggest thing that I feel like has changed from last season to this season is the continuity behind it. You have to remember they transitioned two 20 point per game scores onto their team. I, I mean, out of the blue, I mean, let's, let's be real for a second, because when we think about Bogdanovich, right. I mean, first of all, his year with Indiana was completely unprecedented in terms of a guy that kind of flew off the radar, kind of didn't even get his respect all that much when he was doing what he did for Indiana. And that's because 
And Ryan, I told you I'm not doing this anymore. People were sleeping on Indiana for most of last year. For the last three or four seasons, specifically maybe the last two or three, they've been floating around the fourth, fifth seed, sneaky in the Eastern Conference, but because they don't come out of the first round, nobody even bats an eye at them. But Bogdanovich was a guy who really stirred the ship for that team that season and, you know, probably had one of the highest usage rates of his career, probably besides playing overseas. And then you look at a guy like Mike Conley, who's used to the very like grit and grind-esque of what Memphis had going on. You know, Zach Randolph, far removed. Mark Gasol was a guy who they, you know, obviously they had to part ways as well with the fact that he had got moved to Toronto. But this was a guy who still was like the leader of the offense, the runner of the team. And with D. Mitch on that team, Jordan Clarkson was like probably the most clutch trade last season that nobody talked about until like probably now in terms of really hyping up what he's been for their team and everything like that. So you're talking about a sum of parts that didn't really get a lot to, of time to jail. And although it kind of felt like, okay, you guys started out the season with this squad for the most part. You still have to remember that they're transitioning roles. Mike Conley had that weird start to the season where he couldn't hit a three to save his life. Then all of a sudden he kind of came back bubble time and was kind of killing for them. And it was, I think it kind of hurt late in that series when he was in and out and um, in that first series against Denver. So I think the big thing with that is just Utah is in with the COVID times and you know how every team is. I mean, we saw, we've seen Ryan, we mentioned this beforehand on the podcast. We've seen Philly play with Tyrese Maxey having to get nearly 40 because they don't have anybody else really playing for them. We're in a weird league right now where guys are missing a lot of time and Utah is deep. Utah has played together and I mean, shoot, they're keeping guys on the court. So, I mean, they're killing with continuity right now. So last season when we were doing our playoff predictions between um, Utah and Denver, I said that Denver was going to win seven games simply because Utah doesn't have Bojan Bogdanovic. He's one of the reasons why this team has been so successful on the offensive side. He's averaging 16 points a game and TV, like you said, he's really contributing to one of the best three point shooting teams in the entire league. And who would have thought that the Utah Jazz would be the best three-point shooting team in the country when, exactly. when exactly. we thought it was going to be Golden State? Like, Steph Curry, Curry is having a great season right now. But just looking at the Utah Jazz, I could see this team matching up with the Lakers and the Clippers. I think that this team has a lot of depth, like Jalen mentioned. And considering that you have guys who are consistent double-digit scorers in Donovan Mitchell, Defensive Player of the Year candidate Rudy Gobert, Joe Ingles, who's somehow having a great season as well. And then you're getting production off the bench from Jordan Clarkson, who just decided to drop 40 points in a game. Against the Sixers, yeah, yeah. It kind of makes me think like he's the younger version of Lou Williams, like the six-man-of-the-year potential candidate. And then Mike Conley, who pretty much revived his career in Utah. Coming out of Memphis, like he was a great player, but then he goes to Utah, doesn't hit a three for a couple of games, and now he seems to be like one of the best point guards in the league right now who can now be one of the best three-point shooters in the league. This team all around is – it's it's scary. Yeah, but here's my rebuttal to you. If you look back at the past NBA champions, the Utah Jazz do not have a player that is of a caliber of like just some of these NBA champions over these last, what, 10, 15 years? It can be if we go back, LeBron James last year. Kawhi Leonard before that, Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, like they have no one up on that caliber. 
And I think that's going to be an issue when you go deep into the playoffs. And as it's, it's cool you have depth and all. I mean, this is why a lot of people like comparing them to the Milwaukee Bucks. Because people are like, oh my gosh, this team is so deep and stuff like that. They could throw like multiple starting lineups at you and all that. But Giannis hasn't proved to be in that in, in the playoffs to be that guy of a caliber of a LeBron, KD, Steph Curry, and all them, or even a Kawhi Leonard. And I don't think that Donovan Mitchell is on that level. And I think that's what's like, I think it's going to be cool and all for the first, what, first series, maybe even second in the second series. I think that'll get you through that. But when you get to the conference finals and you have to either go up against a LeBron led team um, with Anthony Davis, hopefully, or against a Clipper team with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, who have been like in the playoffs before Kawhi Leonard being a multiple time finals MVP, it's, it's going to be tough. And depth just matters less when you're going deeper into the playoffs. I guess my rebuttal to that would be, does this team really need a clear star player? Because we've seen teams in the past win championships without a star player. I'll say the 04 Pistons as one of the most recognizable teams without a clear star player. Do you feel like you can make that case with this team? We try to make that case every year for certain teams, whether it was like the Toronto Raptors before they got Kawhi. Maybe they're like, I remember like all the narratives saying, look, if the Raptors are deep enough, they have the bench mob. I mean, people were hyping up the bench mob in like the early in the mid 2010s, but that didn't matter when you went up against LeBron. That doesn't really matter. I mean, there are examples of it. Yes, I do agree with the, the Detroit Pistons. But when we look at like, like just the odds of it happening, it's very slim. And I don't think, I mean, I love Donovan Mitchell. He is a great player and he's a fun watch, but he's just, he's just, just not on the level of those guys. So do you feel like now that Utah has the chance of winning, uh, the chance of possibly being the number one seed in the playoffs, do you see this team making a Western Conference run? I'll start with TV on this one. Um, I would say yes. I mean, we've seen the Nuggets do it last year. I mean, Fair enough, they have a better player, Nikola Jokic, a top, like, probably arguably the best turn in basketball, but it's possible, especially in a year. I mean, like, I don't know if you, like, I, I know you guys are c- catching up with the standings. It's really crazy out here. Like, the, the standings are just all the way messed up. There's some teams that we thought we would be, like, running away with certain, like, in certain areas. And, like, I don't know, especially in the East, like, it's all, like, jumbled up in, like, one place. So it's possible, especially in a year when there's no fans and stuff like that. I could definitely still see it happening, but. At the end of the day, um, I mean, you talked about like LeBron James, like I think Jalen like mentioned it. It's hard to doubt that man. It's really hard to doubt people like him. It's hard to doubt people like Kawhi Leonard at the end of the day. So I I I wanna see them. I wanna see them do well. I wanna see him pull off the that Pistons run. I've just like bought into so many teams in the past thinking that that could be the case, but the stars always show up, especially in the NBA. Jalen, any chance that you see Utah being the number one seed or is this the Lakers again? So, I mean, you know, we have to, you know, that part in terms of the number one seed, I think has to be addressed based on how the Lakers decide to play AD's injury moving forward. I think not even just the fact of like, oh, how things are now, but moving forward, you know, I mean, KD for the Nets, who we'll probably take on talk about a little bit later on, is a guy they've been trying to be real careful with coming off an Achilles injury himself. We're talking about an Achilles situation with AD, a little bit more dangerous on that end just because of how much defensive responsibility he has. You don't want to lose a guy like that, you know, by trying to play him 
you know, through this Western Conference gauntlet. So how often does he play back-to-backs? How do things look in terms of his minute counts? Things like that are going to be the difference between winning and losing games. So I don't know if they're worried about the number one um, seed anymore. I think that might be the, the, the hole that Utah needs to be able to go ahead and steal it away. Um, they've been running away with it for most of the season. But in terms of what they just need to do overall, I think Utah's got the run. I think the big thing, I think TV touched on this earlier. I'm, I'm kind of glad that he actually brought this up because I thought it was a really interesting point. I think there's th- this is what, Ryan, we probably didn't take into consideration when we made our power rankings. And I think it's kind of interesting to touch on now is there really is a difference between taking the season in snapshots and looking at the overall picture. In snapshots, we have the Suns at five. I think there's a lot. Of, we I, I looked at NBA on ESPN on Instagram. They've got the Suns around two or three. They've been on a pretty good streak on themselves. I mean, the, you know, the recent loss to the Nets wasn't great. But other than that, they've been on a pretty good roll beforehand. It's easy to look at the Suns and say that they're a pretty dangerous team in the Western Conference right now. They were also a team that we, have, we really hype about coming into the season. And they kind of just started, you know, middle of the pack, floating around the fifth and sixth seed in the Western Conference and kind of maybe didn't get up to that like crazy jump we expected. Teams like the Jazz, they're jumping on us early and showing us something now that gives us something to want to root for. But come playoff time, are they like maybe the third best team in the Western Conference the way TV has it lined up? Probably. And that's the crazy thing about it because I think even if they get the the, the first overall seed, I still wonder just how much of a run they can make because of the point that TV made being the superstar factor. Because notice the first thing you had to say was when you went to went to something in a catalog that said, what's a, what's a team that's won the championship in this unconventional way? 04, we're in 2021. We don't have a really great track record of teams that have been able to make that kind of play. And that Pistons team was very unique for a lot of different reasons in terms of the cast of characters that they had. Obviously, you know, Ben Wallace, uh, Rasheed Wallace, um, the homie Big Shot Billups, obviously, all of those. So you play into those things, and it's you play into the era as well. So I just think that we transition away from the dark horse team, catching everybody by, by, by storm. I think Denver had a little bit of that kind of wake-up calling us last year, but we all still picked the Lakers to win come Western Conference Finals time. Once it hit, we knew, we knew when the rubber meant the road. Like, yeah. you know, simple as that. So I think that is really – good to keep an eye on the jazz right now i'm so glad that people are going to bat for them but they're gonna have to show us a little something first i think donovan mitchell has shown us he's on the uptick but i'm with tv on the fact that i don't think he's that caliber of player yet and that's the caliber that level of player is the one that you're gonna need to run uh to be able to you know get a chip it's a good transition to talk about phoenix you mentioned if we're looking at the season snapshots phoenix is one of the top teams in the league but if you watch the game last night how they were able to hold Brooklyn for pretty much 46 minutes of the game until the last couple of minutes when James Harden was able to get on a roll and then he actually was able to give Brooklyn the lead toward the end of the game. It kind of gave you a snapshot that Phoenix is a team that could hang with a lot of the top teams in the NBA like Brooklyn. So this is a good transition to TV on this one. What are the chances that Phoenix makes a strong playoff run to the Western Conference Finals? With Chris Paul, 
Chris Paul is the deciding factor here. What we've seen with Chris Paul throughout his whole career is that he changes cultures. He did that in, in the Clippers. They were a bum franchise for how many years he comes to that team. And it's the best, um, this is the best run that they've had as a franchise. He goes into OKC. They were expected to win 30 games. What does he do? He takes them to the fifth seed. He is a culture changer. And now with the Phoenix Suns, they haven't made the playoffs since 2009. They bring in Chris Paul and they, and they completely change the culture. And the thing with the Phoenix Suns is that it did take them a while to get things going. They started off 11 and nine. It took, but once they realized their roles, once they knew like what it took to win, that's why they started going on the streak bar yesterday against Brooklyn. I mean, they gave up a 24 point lead. That was, that was kind of rough, especially without KD or Kyrie in that game. But at the end of the day, you know, the Chris Paul effect is real. I give them a chance against a lot of teams just because Chris Paul could do that. But at the end of the day, this team, like Chris, like Devin Booker hasn't been in this situation before. Devin Booker, DeAndre Aiden, they have never been in a situation like, man, we have expectations now. Oh, man, we have we have a guy who could take us further. Can we be the ones to step up? Devin Booker's only 24, 25 years, like I think 24, 23 years old. DeAndre Aiden's like 20, 21. It's going to take time with this team. And yes, I think they're going to put up a lot of fight against uh, some of these West teams. I mean, none of these West teams wants to go up against a Chris Paul-led team. No one does. They took the they took that Houston Rockets team to five games um, to seven games last year in the in the first round. But you just it's just the other guys around him. Can they do it? Because we haven't seen them in that position yet. But uh, we we have to wait and see. It's crazy that you mentioned he changes the culture because Jalen and I have been saying he's been changing the culture on teams for over 140 episodes. And we feel like he's another guy who can change the culture of the Phoenix Suns. Like you mentioned the Clippers. He took the Clippers back to the playoffs when they haven't been to the playoffs since Corey McGetty was there. But then Oklahoma City, he was able to change the culture there. He even changed the culture where it all started in New Orleans. So I think he has that capability, and I feel like the Chris Paul effect is wearing off on the Phoenix Suns. But Jalen, I, I want to transition this to you now. We know Devin Booker is one of the stars of this team. He's the main guy on this team. Is there another player on this team that you think is an X factor? I think it's Mikael Bridges. I think uh, Monty Williams is going to have a very big impact on some of these young guys because he's been a guy who's, you know, he's been well-renowned within front offices as one of the, you know, elite people player coaches, you know, people person coaches. And I think that these young guys are going to be able to lean on him and the tutelage of specifically Chris Paul. I think especially because you're, remember, you're reuniting those two as well. You mentioned the New Orleans times. I think that's a huge thing to touch on as well in all of this, but as, as important as I think DeAndre Ayton is, we know where the league is going. The two way wing is probably the most coveted division, uh, like, uh, like position Position. in all of basketball. Like that's why the, the trade package for Robert Covington was a thing when we were talking about when trailblazers made that movie, the off season, that's why certain things, even, even like, let's talk about the trailblazers specifically, they went from a team with not a single wing you could think of that was reliable besides maybe Gary Trent, but he was c- kind of playing a little bit out of position considering the circumstances. They, this was a team associated with guys like an older Trevor Ariza, Al Farouk Aminu, dudes who were like one side of the ball, three and D guys for the most part, whatever the case was, but like low in high end defense, low end three point shooting. 
Then they stocked up on, on the three position. Derek Jones Jr. is a guy who they picked up in the offseason. Obviously, you know, they got in their situation with being able to bring Melo back um, and things of that. And obviously trading for Robert Covington. Like, this is one of the most coveted positions in the NBA. And so I think with Mikael Bridges, he's shown us the flashes. We just haven't necessarily gotten the consistency, right? We've seen him go for the 20-plus the, the games. but We've seen him go for the 11 and unders. We've seen him play elite level defense one night and then kind of not really show up all that much on the other end as much on another night. I think the biggest thing with him is that if he can be a consistent guy for them, he's averaging a little bit over 14 points per game right now. I think if he can really start to step up as an offensive threat for them, that'll really change things for them overall because they're getting deep wing position, you know, assistance jay crowder cam johnson um i think i mean obviously this is a four but dario sarge is a guy who's played way better for them than i had anticipated coming into this this season they're getting a lot of you know a lot of help from that depth spot when it comes to the three four i just think that mikhail bridges has to take that three position by the by the neck and say i am a top level wing defender because he is out of villanova that was his biggest projection was He's going to be an NBA caliber defender. I think he needs to take that by the reins and keep, you know, locked down on that side and continue to knock three down. Because right now he's doing okay. I mean, if we take a look at it right now, nearly 40%. I mean, you can't sleep on that. And I think, I think scary enough, he can probably knock that up a tick or two. I think this is like the most underrated team in the Western Conference because of the amount of weapons that they have on the offensive side. Just looking outside of Devin Booker and Chris Paul, you mentioned Mikel Bridges. He's shooting 50% from the field and almost 40% from three. DeAndre Ayton, who's been a consistent center for them as they drafted him number one a couple of years ago out of Arizona, he's averaging close to 14 points a game and 12 rebounds. And then you have other shooters like Cameron Johnson, Dario Sarge, and Crowder who have arguably all been great for them. They're all double-digit scorers, all averaging close to 10 points a game. It's interesting how last season, this team made some noise at the start of the season, but they kind of fell off toward the back end and toward the bubble. But then they were able to pick up right where they left off at the bubble and go on an 8 no run. And unfortunately, this team missed the playoffs because I was so excited to see what Devin Booker could have done in the playoffs. And I actually said Devin Booker could have been the MVP for this season. But this year, they're picking up right where they left off as they left the bubble, my only concern now is how do they keep up the momentum? Yeah, 100%. And for people like Devin Booker and DeAndre Aiden, you know, they're still, like I said, very, very young. They they haven't gone to reps in the playoffs. And I think that's what's most important of them trying to get to the season. We want to talk about them as playoff contenders, but at the very least, we need to see them just get their reps. Yeah. That's the most important thing in terms of this team, because as much as as great as Chris Paul is, he is not a long term solution there. He's going to be there for two maximum three years, maximum three years, in my opinion. But then it's going to be the Devin Booker show. It's going to be the DeAndre Aiden show. But it's all but it, this is the time for them to take like what they have right now and take it to the next level. Because I think for DeAndre Aiden especially, we thought when Chris Paul came in, he was going to just have like a boost in offense. But no, he's been one of the better defensive bigs in the league, which has been a huge surprise, at least to me. I don't know up to you guys, but it's been extremely surprising to me to see how good he's been on the defensive end. 
and Devin Booker. I mean, it took a while for him to get used to playing beside Chris Paul, but now he's back to his MV, to his All Star form. But yeah, as long as they get the reps in the playoffs and the Suns have like a nice bright future ahead of them, I think, I think either way, as long as they make the playoffs, it's a successful season. So TV, when it comes to Brooklyn, right, the real tricky thing with them right now is obviously we're leaning on the rotation of the superstars. You know, James Harden's probably been the most consistent guy. I think that's the thing that's made this James Harden trade a little bit more bearable for the Brooklyn Nets, considering how much depth they gave up. Obviously, the big elephant in the room is KD's injury, though. It's it's one of those things that's going to be monitored throughout the entire season. It's one of those things that coming off the Achilles injury, they've been already trying to monitor his minutes and stuff like that. But let's worry less about where he is right now, where they're sitting him down for games and things of that nature. And let's focus more so on his upside. He's been a guy who's pretty much performing at near the MVP level that he played at, you know, seasons ago, back around 2013, 2014. What do you think the upside of the Brooklyn Nets are with a healthy KD? Because I think we all can project that they're an NBA finals team, but is that where they hit the ceiling? Or do you think that with KD at full strength they are a legit a legit title contender to the chance of being able to take the trophy home with them because i think that right now they're hitting their head on the goalpost, but i don't think they're getting around it because we don't know exactly how severe this is going to hurt him overall because right now it looks like performance wise he's doing his thing but it's not on a nightly basis it's one game two sits one game two two and a half sits (laughs) you have the one game where he played for like 18 minutes yeah so yeah yeah and that is a issue especially coming off an achilles injury you guys like mentioned it. i mean honestly this has been one of the best injury comebacks i can think of of recent memory the fact that he is back at his mvp level even after a torn achilles is mind-boggling to me that he's been playing it this well and I listened to another podcast about this and I think like it's like it should be kind of the mentality of the Brooklyn Nets is that just be as careful with KD as possible in the regular season because at the end of the day, you need him for the playoffs. You have James Harden, you have Kyrie Irving, though their injury concerns are not as severe as a Kevin Durant. As long as you have all three of those guys healthy and ready for the playoffs, they're a they are a championship contender. And if, if we just look at just the landscape of the East in general, I mean, there's so many question marks with the other, t- with the, like the other top teams in the East, the Philadelphia 76ers, we're talking about health. Joel Embiid has been in and out of the lineup this season. Ben Simmons has had his past struggles as well. Um, the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, I don't know what the heck is going on with them right now. It's been kind of like a really rough season for them as well. And this team is kind of like the opposite of the Utah Jazz. They're not very deep. They're they have very, very, very top loaded. And the thing is, you still trust them over the Utah Jazz. You know why? Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, they know they've been there, they know what to do. And you just trust that like going forward. And with the Brooklyn Nets, I mean, obviously their defense has been absolutely terrible this year. Obviously, um, the in- they've had like their starts have been in and out of the season, but when you know what matters, like when it matters, you have Kevin Durant, you have Kyrie Irving, you have James Harden. It's going to give you a chance. It's going to give you a chance. And I think um, with all of them healthy going into playoffs, they definitely should be considered as championship contenders. So let me ask you this, though. When you take a look at what they've done overall, what we've seen so far, they've transitioned to this big three because, you know, we've seen it in spurts, but we haven't really been able to see it consistent enough to take anything away from it. The biggest takeaway we have from the Nets is that we know their defense, it ain't it. 
is not it. And you've seen that they've been trying to make little attempts at bringing in defensive guys. There was the bringing Amon Shumpert off the scrap heap, bringing in a guy like Andre Roberson recently out of free agency. What move do you think they should make or what move do you think they should go about? Like what position do you think they should go about addressing heading towards the trade deadline? Because I think people are sleeping on the fact that this is like literally about a month away and it's going to come by quickly come after all-star weekend yeah my only issue with them trying to make a trade is what are what do they have left to trade that's the only thing like my biggest my biggest thing is that they should upgrade their center position i mean deandre jordan was brought in there to be a defensive center and he is no longer a defensive center he is honestly so bad on defense watching the the brooklyn Nets play it's been so it's been so tough because he was an all defensive player. He was an all NBA player with the LA Clippers, but he is booty cheeks on uh, <laughs> at the, at, on defense. Now he sucks. So would they, I mean, this is why like something as small as like trying to trade for JaVale McGee. I mean, this is what we've come to with this Brooklyn Nets team. <laughs> like, if, like if we, if they can make a trade for a JaVale McGee, I think that kind, I think that kind of solves it at the very least because I've seen games this season where they finish with Kevin Durant at center and they don't want that go like they don't want that at least for the regular season. I mean, sure, like the um the Golden State Warriors has done that like in the playoffs on multiple occasions, but in the regular season you don't want to be taxing him that much, especially on this injury that he has. And I think this is why like I didn't want them to include Jared Allen in the trade because I think he is probably like their most valuable piece, even more valuable than Karis Levert to them. But I mean, they just need to get, they just need to have like a point, like at least in the season where they have a center that can kind of split minutes. They don't have that backup center right now. Um, if they can, like, I just think honestly, just a trade for Javon McGee, just so he can eat up some minutes. It's honestly just all they need right now. They don't need that much. Just they can like rely on those three guys for the regular season, but they just need someone to split more minutes with Kevin, with DeAndre Jordan at the moment. This is so tough because we're we're talking about Javale McGee being being a, a being a backup center possibly or even a starting center for the Brooklyn Nets. And a TV, you nailed it right on the head. If this team's healthy, they win the championship. And I said that if Brooklyn's able to manage Kevin Durant's minutes and you let Kevin Durant do his thing, he's he's going to score thirty points a game. And when healthy, this is the thing that the entire league feared: a healthy Kevin Durant coming back and dropping 30 points a game, especially with Kyrie and James Harden right next to him. But it's tough because you lost Jared Allen, who was the future of the, of the Brooklyn Nets, because he was the starting center before you got DeAndre Jordan. And he's, he's kind of improved since his rookie season. I know Jalen, you have a differing opinion about uh, Jared Allen's time in Brooklyn, even though he has been, even though he has improved at this time, but their defense was bad. And DeAndre Jordan is not helping any matters. He's no longer the lob city DeAndre Jordan that we come to expect or that we expected him to be, but rather a, a lesser player of himself. And I feel like it's crazy. We're saying JaVale McGee should be the starting center of this team. I would, I would go as far to say Andre Drummond, would be could be a good trade piece, but the problem is they don't have enough assets to get him unless you want to lose more draft picks. Because again, the draft picks in the long run can end up hurting your team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And 
I think like what the Brooklyn Nets fans and their organization is kind of banking on is the fact that he just gets bought out. I think that is the one thing that that they're kind of just banking on. And I think there's just a lot of th- teams on the Andre Drummond market. They're just hoping he gets bought out and no one trades for him. But at the same time, I mean, they gotta they gotta kind of deal with the like with what they have. And if they can make the trade, I mean. I just don't know who's left out there in the free agency. Like, do they really want to bring in a Joakim Noah who's 35 years old and like hasn't really like done much at all over these last few years? I mean, that's what they're kind of like looking at. I mean, I think another player that I think like I've seen like in different articles was Dwayne Dedman. I don't know like if we want to see him back in the league and stuff like that, but it, it's it's rough. They, they, they this is what they expected when they traded for James Harden. They got rid of everything else and they risked it to get the three superstar lineup. But this, like right now, their center position is kind of the most, t- the toughest position to fill right now for them. And at this point, they're just kind of hoping and praying that they have like that, you know, the free agency market kind of opens up for them. So transitioning away from our power rankings, let's talk about the buyouts. Let's talk about how teams are sitting players. Draymond Green's comments on it. This has turned in, this has turned into an interesting topic because the Pistons are seeing Blake Griffin. The Cavaliers are sitting Andre Drummond amid trade talks. TV, do you think this is a right? Do you think this is a good thing to do or a bad thing to do? Um, I think what people like with the whole Dream on Green situation, he like he basically just called out saying like if if players like want to like sit down and stuff like that, they get crucified by the media, by the fans, whatever, whatever. And when um, teams do it, they don't get as criticized as much, and that's why he called for the double standard. But the thing is here is that at least with the Blake Griffin thing, at least it's kind of like a mutual thing. So like Blake Griffin said, like it's probably best I sit out and the district president says, yes, we agree with you. But with Andre Drummond, there was some pushback. He wanted to play. He has been playing at an all-star level. And I think he wanted to try and, you know, whether you say it's staff padding or not, like he wants to continue on because he's having a good season. And I think it's an issue. Like, obviously, like, it's just, I just think it's just like not fair, especially if the player is healthy. Like if they don't want to play fair enough, if you agree to that, you know, that's, that's something within your organization, but if you're forcibly um, sitting down a player to like, while they're healthy and they want to play because of a trade, I I, I don't think it's right. I don't think so. like it's right. I mean, you brought him in, you have him on the roster and I think, and I think Draymond Green like meant like, I think it's like that he did a good job calling out like organizations on that because in, in terms of that, there is a double standard. Jalen, do you think that there's a double standard? Oh, I mean, for certain. I mean, this is something that, I mean, if anybody listens to the All Smoke podcast on here, Matt Barnes has been talking about this for, you know, the last year and a half where there's this thing with, you know, owners and fans, they look at it, a player gets cut, traded, waived, whatever the circumstances, we don't even bat an eye at it. A guy tries to take his own, you know, destiny into his own hands or tries to make his own decision based on his own happiness in situations like free agency, for example, and you get crucified. Now, I, I, I won't lie. There are circumstances like the Kevin Durant to Golden State situation where you look at it and you say, you got to be kidding me right now. When you see that you're automatically thinking 2K broke the league <laughs> come real life, you know what I mean? With situations like that, but nonetheless, when you factor in certain things like him just want to take his own happiness within – um his self and his game, his style of play that he wanted to play, because that was one of the biggest things he touched on was liking the way Golden State plays, you know, move, plays moving the basketball, moving without the basketball, things like that, that he felt like 
wasn't developing in Oklahoma City Thunder with the Oklahoma City Thunder. He felt like he was playing around a lot of athletes, not a lot of basketball players. It's something he's been documented as saying. And I think that that floats in a lot of different areas too. When in situations like this where you're sitting, guys, Andre Drummond was having a great year. I almost almost feel like you hurt his trade value by not having him on the floor because yeah, he slowed down as of late a bit. But you can tell that they're also trying to work. Look, they have like five centers. Let's not let's not completely go over. They have like five of them. They're trying to make the make these guys. You know, they're trying to give these guys rotational minutes. When one of those guys is Jared Allen, somebody that you traded for, that your your belief is that they're a foundational building block at that five spot. You're gonna play him a lot off the bench, and that's what we've seen. Um, so Andre Drummond has been able to get a spell here and there. He's playing a little bit less than thirty minutes over the last couple of games. But I still feel like him being on the court is a net positive in your end. So unless this is a pseudo tank move where you're afraid that somehow Andre Drummond has an impact on winning games, which I think is questionable. I think it it depends on what his supporting cast is. I think with the Cavaliers specifically, I don't necessarily know how much he moves the needle um, if you're worried about where your draft position is. But I think in terms, if you're worried about what your trade stock looks like in terms of being able to try to make a play for getting some assets back for him, it almost seems like it's better to play him. With Blake, I don't know. Detroit might be doing him a solid because, honestly, yeah. his, his his stock has been tanking for most of the year yeah. because he's been struggling. And so it's weird. It's almost like that little sliver of hope that you think if he can get some time on the bench to just chill out and not do anything while you wait to get him in a better position, maybe he'll end up on a better team and kind of show up. So it's weird. I think the double standard is definitely there in terms of what takes place with the way fans and front offices view, you know, player decision making. But this is one of those other ends of the spectrum where you look at it when, like a TV said with Andre Drummond, for example, wanting to play. This is a guy who legit wants to be out there on the court for your team. And you're trying to figure out the easiest, you, you view this as the easiest way to deal him. Now, if he had sat out, and was waiting for you if he had sat out and said i'm not playing another game until you trade me crucified off rip and so that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that's kind of dangerous and it kind of is important that draymond green brought it to light because it's one of those things that has been flying on flying under the radar for a while and this player movement player empowerment thing is only going to make this kind of double standard thing more apparent in terms of people keeping their eye on it the interesting thing that I thought about after Draymond said those said said what he had to say was the Chris Paul trade in 2011. Who stopped that trade? The league. Yeah. Who's making all these decisions on behalf of the players? The league. So there is that double standard with the players, and I feel like Draymond has a point. When, if you remember on, I think it was inside the NBA when Draymond was talking about get Devin Booker out of Phoenix because he's going to play better when he leaves Phoenix. He got fined like, what, $10,000 for saying that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah was, he did, he did. It was an insane amount of money just for just for like hoping that Devin Booker, just, just for making a case that Devin Booker leaves Phoenix. Jalen's right. I think if this continues to happen, like this is only to going to become more apparent. And like... Think about like who's talking about this or think about the players right now. Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin. Like arguably Blake Griffin, when healthy, is the top 15 player in the league. Andre Drummond is a top 10 center in the league. So imagine if this was 
like James Harden said this like a couple months ago before he got traded to Brooklyn. But imagine if James Harden wasn't traded to Brooklyn and if he was still on Houston and he was getting sat and he was sitting every game because of his because of his trade value. Imagine if LeBron James did this. It's not going to happen to LeBron, but what if what if it happened to him? That's that's the interesting thing about this. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's it's all about really like I mean, like I think like Jalen put it right. I mean, we as fans kind of in, in ways side with the organization because we want to we like we want what's best for our team. So when a player isn't playing well or not like kind of doing his job, like we're like we're putting on our own GM hat. We want to see what type of trades like we want to like make around for this, and we kind of like lose kind of perception of like the actual players, the players, the people that we can mostly relate to at this point, you know, they're the ones who are, the, who are playing like for us and stuff like that. And, and Draymond Green mentioned it in his, um, in that press conference, the mental health of these players are like, like imagine like being like having like one of your best seasons and stuff like that. And they're telling you, look, we don't want you to play. You are helping. You are like, you're being like, we want to trade you like, like and stuff like that. Like it, it, it hurts these players with psyche. It really does, and and a lot of that isn't like really talked about. And at the end of the day, I'm just glad that Draymond brought this up because I think um, he like I think it's just kind of opened the eyes at least to a lot of people. And and speaking of him getting fined, watch him get fined for this too. For, for doing this <laughs> for real, just because of the name on the back of the jersey, he gonna get fined for it. Just being Draymond, bro. Exactly. You know, I only feel it is necessary to end this podcast off. By talking about the Toronto Raptors. Yes, sir. So, (laughs) so TV, we'll start with you. Considering that this is your team, the Raptors struggled on early in the season. They could not win a lot of games. They've been able to turn it around so far this season. What has been the main reason for their turnaround? It's just everyone's starting to get back into the full of things. Obviously, like a lot of the reason why the Raptors are kind I think like personally, like one of the reasons is like kind of the transition into moving to Tampa Bay. I mean, people don't like talk about that enough. I mean, they've been playing in Toronto, like especially like this core group of guys, Van Vliet, Siakam and Lowry for like three, four years at this point and transitioning to a whole new um, city, like away from your family and stuff like it's different it's definitely different and i think that really did affect them early in the season besides that losing out losing out on marcus all and sergi baka two of our championship big men and replacing them with aaron baines and alex len is definitely definitely <laughs> not like it's not ideal definitely not ideal even till this day it's not ideal but at the same time um the players are starting to play off to their abilities i mean fred van vliet I think like he made his case a bit too late, but if he continued to play like this since the beginning of the season, he would definitely be an all-star. Like, but I think he kind of like came on a bit too late. Siakam is finally like kind of breaking out of his slump. I mean, he's been actually really good these last five to 10 games and Kyle Lowry is still playing like the leader. He is OG and is having a career year. It's just people that we expected to play well are finally playing to their capabilities. And for people who are like um, bashing the Raptors early on in the season, look, they had the coach of the year last year. They have still like all these like championship pieces. I mean, I mean, they're, I don't think they were going to be contenders or anything, but they're going to make the playoffs. I don't think there was any doubt of them like missing out on the playoffs. And I think there's still issues to be to address here. Speaking of Andre Drummond from earlier, um, I know that you guys definitely have seen like those trade rumors with the Toronto Raptors and Andre Drummond. 
I personally, I mean, I don't really want him on my team at this point, even though it could be an upgrade. I mean, just, just the money is a bit too much. But yeah, I think I think the Raptors will definitely like step it up from here. And the thing about the Raptors is like they're really up and down team. On Sunday, they beat they lost to the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have the worst record in the league. And last night they defeated the number two seed in the East in the Milwaukee Bucks. So it really just depends on what Raptors you get that night. And if we can see, and like last night, especially against the Milwaukee Bucks, I mean, that was like championship Raptors, like the way that they were playing, especially with these guys like on the court. So, yeah, as long as we get those like on a consistent level, I think that they could possibly still like be maybe fifth, sixth seed for sure. The last question before we get to our question of the day, Jalen, we mentioned on our podcast that there was a chance that the Raptors may trade Kyle Lowry. And we think it's possible that there's a chance it happens. Does it happen, Jalen? Oh, man, that's ballsy. I think the big thing about it is that I just don't see what the purpose is. I think there's been the breadcrumbs there. You know, they, they started doing all this. You know, they start getting tricky when they start mentioning TMZ level content. Like he's so he's putting his house up on for sale and stuff like that, where you're just like, OK, dude, what? what it, OK, just like let's read it for a basketball value and leave it at that. I think the tricky part about Kyle Lowry is the places that he's being associated with, right? Like one of the top places that he's being linked to is the Clippers. Like, look, TV, they have you can, no assets. TV, no you assets. can keep it a buck with me, bro. I, I have to assume that we are bros. You're on the podcast yeah. now. You're yeah. part of the Hoop Talk yeah. fam. You can keep yeah. it a bead. I know you don't want Patrick Beverly. <laughs> I know you don't want Lou Williams back. I know you don't want Serge Ibaka back unless you're keeping Kyle Lowry and getting Serge Ibaka via some other kind of, you know, trade asset situation. I even know for certain that with the most of the depth that LA has, you don't even think their picks are valuable and they're like hundreds of years down the line. So my thing with Kyle Lowry, right, is really just the fact that any team that you would think the Lakers, no Clippers, no. Once you go through the list of teams that really make sense, let's even like, I'll even pull up the standings really quickly because I think it's really important to kind of touch on any of the squads that would like even make sense. And most of them kind of like are in the Western conference, arguably enough. I think that when you look down the line, I mean, even there's other weird teams like the Mavericks who like desperately need another playmaker at the point guard position, I think next to Luca because he just seems to have to create everything by himself for the most part. Like even Dallas for a certain, ex- to a certain extent, I don't see as a team that Toronto would want to trade for, like trade with. So it's like, I, I get it. Kyle is, you know, I think it, TV, this is last year of his contract, correct? Yeah, correct. So last year of his contract, expiring contract, great looking deal for the value of a guy who has all-star caliber nights. But anybody who needs him doesn't have a fair game in terms of trying to flip him for something. So I think he's going to stick around. I think it's kind of hard to mess it up. The other thing is, look, the city took a hit when you moved DeMar DeRozan. I think you need to let Kyle Lowry have this one. I, th- I think you need to let Toronto keep this one on his hands and let Kyle decide whether or not he really wants to up and leave. But moving him, I think Toronto needs to pay this man his flowers. He did his thing last season, and he's still been a good asset so far this year as they flip things around. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, do you feel like Toronto should extend Kyle Lowry? 
before we close out the podcast tv do you have anything to promote um yeah um check out the tv on basketball podcast check out my page on instagram that's what i do most of my work at tv on basketball i mean these guys talked about my tiktok earlier in the episode so definitely go check that out i'm gonna try to put some other content out there i just hit 1k subscribers on my um on my instagram so check out my latest post check out my latest post i do have a giveaway for a 25 dollars gift card so just follow the um the just the instructions in the caption and you can be entered for that and besides that, yeah, I'm going to have another episode coming out this Friday. I'm definitely should have you guys on the show at some point for sure. Um, and just thank you for having me on for sure. It's been a pleasure having you on today, TV. This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure we subscribe to us on Apple. You rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We once again, thank our guest TV from TV on Basketball, and we will see you guys next episode. Peace.